We're continuing this morning to make our way through the book of Leviticus as well. And we're in chapter 16 this morning, which in many ways, if you study the book of Leviticus, is a kind of high point. It's right in the center of this book, and it's meant to sort of gather our attention and our focus as to how God goes about making a people that are, are holy as he is holy. So if I encourage you this morning to turn to Leviticus 16, whether in your pew Bible or the Bibles you've brought with you today. When it comes to seeing what is most true about ourselves, most of us need some help. We don't immediately sort of perceive these things on our own. And so in our lives, we need people who can tell us the truth. Tell us the truth about our blind spots. Tell us the truth about our our failings. But also people who can continue to tell us the truth about God's love, God's mercy, God's healing, God's faithfulness in those very same places as well. And so sometimes those can be friends. They might be spouses. They might be parents. But at certain points in our lives, we may need someone specific, a kind of specialist, someone to to really be devoted to that task of seeing ourselves well. For the first few years after we moved here to Vermont, I spent time about once a month with a friend who also was a counselor who would help me do that very thing. Each month we we would sit down and he would help me to see myself as God sees me. He'd help me to listen to to where the Holy Spirit might be speaking in ways that I I needed help listening to. And it it was through those times, those regular times of reflecting and listening for God's voice that I I grew in some pretty significant ways. I was helped to, to see and to name my own battles with things like perfectionism in my life to know more deeply my identity as as a son whom God loves and cares for and is faithful to, and to also discover what it looks like to to operate from a place of grace in the work that I am called to do as as a pastor and shepherd in this place. And so I'm slowly in my life learning to see myself as God, again, sees me. And I need that that person, that assistance, that help. Well, when God collectively called together the people of Israel, when he called them into the desert to Mount Sinai to, to make them his people, he knew that they also needed this kind of help. To to know and be known by God himself. And so, in his mercy, he appointed for them someone to help them, to to specialize in this area. And to assist them in approaching the presence of God. Someone who could reflect to them the the truth about their their places, both of, of spiritual immaturity and sin and brokenness. But also a person who was designated to reassure them of God's ongoing mercy despite those failings. And in in the life of Israel, this person was called the high priest. And this morning, as we open to Leviticus chapter 16, 
we see perhaps the, the most important day of the year, not only for the high priest, but for all the people of God. And we see the, the job description, if you will, of what the high priest did on the Day of Atonement, on one particular day each year in the life of Israel. And so as we examine who this high priest was, and, and more specifically what he did on behalf of the people, I'd like us to be asking, why might the people of God need such a person? And is there a, a sense in which we, even today, need this kind of assistance, need someone to bring us into the presence of God, to, to make atonement for us and to assure us of who we are in God's sight, assure us of the ongoing mercy of God. So let me pray for us this morning as we open this passage together. Lord Jesus, we want to see ourselves as you see us, we want to be in the presence of God. But Lord, in order to do that, we need your mercy. We need your cleansing. Lord, we need your faithfulness. We need to be covered by you and integrated deeply into who you are as the Son of God. Lord, I pray as we Look through these verses this morning. May the words that I speak, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. We have a bit of a warning here at the beginning of chapter 16. Today we have TV shows uh, that sort of profile those with risky occupations. Right, there are TV shows about those who fish the dangerous waters of Alaska, or those who work on the front lines of rescue, those who fight bulls even. But among the people of Israel, the most dangerous job was unquestionably one that fell to the high priest. And his job was to approach the living presence of God. So once each year, this person would go into the presence of God himself. And they were told to enter into the Holy of Holies and to offer a sacrifice for Israel's sin. And in case you may have forgotten, this was not a, a, a place just for fooling around. Right, we're told that from the deaths of Nadab and Abihu, here in verse 1, that the way we approach God matters. Right, the high priest couldn't just turn up in God's presence whenever or however he chose. But he needed to make careful preparations. And those are described for us in verses 3 through 14. 
We're told, firstly, that the high priest had to be clean. And he did that first by remaining ceremonially pure. So he he was careful to keep the, the law of ritual purity in the weeks leading up to this ceremony. And then on that morning, he was to wash with water. And then to change into some specific uh, priestly garments prepared that day. But what's unusual on this particular day is that the high priest would not put on his usual colorful robes that, that distinguished him as the high priest. Instead, on the day of atonement, he was to wear simple white garments of linen, the garments of a servant. And it was in this way that he was to come. He was to approach the presence of the living God. And so clothed in humility, aware of of the, the humble place that he had in the presence of God, we're told that he was then to, to go about the work of making atonement. And he was to do this by bringing a series of sacrifices to God. But unlike the, the other days of the year where the, the sacrifices were offered in the, the outer courts of the temple or the tabernacle, on this day, the blood of those sacrifices was to be brought into the, the most inner sanctum of the tabernacle, into a place called the Holy of Holies, and the blood was to be sprinkled on something known as the mercy seat. It was a a cover or a a stand of pure gold placed above the Ark of the Covenant. And scripture tells us that it was was above this mercy seat that the glory, the, the living presence of God was thought to dwell among Israel. The problem, though, for Aaron on this first day of atonement and for every high priest after him was that in order to go into that space, one could not look upon the presence of God's glory and live. And so the priest was told to prepare a a pan filled with hot coals and to add incense to that, that mixture and then to enter into this most holy place to go past the curtain with this incense before his face. And in that way, the the presence or the sight of God's glory would be obscured from him, and he may live. And so having taken all the necessary precautions, having made himself clean, having offered a sacrifice for his own sin, having prepared this, this pan of incense before God, then the high priest could move on to the second portion of his job that day, and that was to make atonement for the people. And in particular, we're told that atonement was made on this day by bringing a pair of goats as an offering to God. Verses 8 through 10 in chapter 16 explain that as the goats were brought to the tabernacle, two lots were to be drawn out, and one lot was to be placed upon the first goat. And it was to be designated as an offering to God, an offering uh, for the sin of the people to be sacrificed there in the temple. The second lot was to be drawn out and placed upon the other goat, which was to be offered to God, but, but to be driven into the wilderness, to be designated to take the sins of the, the people upon itself into, 
into a desolate place. And we see uh, these two different features of atonement described in verses 15 through 22. Each of these goats offer or make atonement in some way that day. But but they do so in, in kind of two different dimensions. The first goat, we're told in verse 15 and 16, is sacrificed so that its, its blood could purify or make atonement for the place of worship. So the, the goat was to be slaughtered, its blood was to be collected, and then it was taken into the Holy of Holies, sprinkled on the mercy seat. The same blood was then to be taken and it was to be placed upon a number of other items and, and parts of the tabernacle. And in this way, atonement was made so that that God's presence could continue to be with his people. God could continue to reside close to and and have a home with Israel, despite their uncleanness and rebellion. In some respects, the, the first goat then represents a kind of gift that Israel is presenting to God in order to, to demonstrate their desire to be holy, their desire to be with him, and for him to keep his presence with his people. But I think in the second goat, we are given a vivid image of what atonement means for us. In the second goat, we see an image of God's gift to cleanse or to make holy his people, to purify us. In verse 21, we're told that the high priest comes out after having purified this most holy place and he stands not in this hidden inner inner courtyard, but now he stands before the presence of all Israel. They're all gathered together that day. And he takes this second goat and he lays both of his hands upon the goat's head. And he offers confession on behalf of the people. He names every act of rebellion, right? every place of hard-heartedness, anything that might accuse Israel in God's presence of their own guilt, says verse 22, is to be transferred upon the head of this goat. And then we're told that that goat was to be taken by a member of the congregation of Israel, and it was to be led into a remote, a desolate place. And there it was to to be swallowed up by the wilderness. You can imagine the great crowd that day, listening as as all of their offenses is spoken and is poured out symbolically on this goat, And then they witness that goat walking toward the horizon, farther and farther and farther away, until eventually it disappears from their sight forever. And I think God does this to give them a kind of visual confirmation that he was driving out the guilt of Israel. That their sin, that their rebellion was sent packing. It was no longer to be remembered or countenanced. Like Psalm 103 says, right, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. You can understand then why this day was regarded as as the holiest, the most sacred day in all of Israel's calendar. 
And so we see the high, high priest doing the work of approaching God on behalf of the people. We see the high priest doing the work of making atonement for God's people. And then finally, at the end of chapter 16, we see the high priest bringing assurance to God's people. Look at these verses. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sin. Verse 20, 29 tells us that this was an ordinance. It was something to be remembered year after year after year. And that the people participated with the work of the high priest in their own way. The Day of Atonement was to be for them a time of rest, a time of fasting, and a time of confession. And in this way, they, they sort of joined themselves to what the high priest was doing for them. On their behalf. And according to the, the writings of the Mishnah, the collected writings of, of the rabbis and teachers of Israel, the community would, would fast and rest and, and attend to what the high priest was doing that day until, until the whole uh, ceremony was carried out, until the high priest had offered these goats on their behalf. And then he would go and change out of these linen garments. He would purify himself again with water. And then he would exit the tabernacle and he would return to his home. And at that point, the fasting of that day turned to feasting. And it was a custom that they would hold a great banquet in honor of this high priest. Because he had undertaken for them the, the dangerous, the risky task of entering into the holy presence of God and making atonement for his people. And so the people celebrated. They remembered in that moment that they now had renewed standing, renewed cleansing, that they could approach, they could be with their God. Writer, writer Walter Brueggemann says, in the atoning work of the high priest, God gave to Israel the assurance that they could be restored to a full relationship with God. And imagine, what is it like to stand in the presence, the holy presence of God, and know you are clean, know you are accepted, know that you have full access, full relationship with him. He is pleased with you as his child. This is the kind of assurance Israel enjoyed that day. And to me, it seems somewhat startling that a man like Aaron, a man that we know had many flaws and failures, could be empowered to do this work of approaching God, of atoning for the sin of his people, of assuring them of their standing in God's sight. But if we wrestle with, with how a, a limited human being could do that, we eventually discover in the book of Hebrews that these days of atonement which Israel celebrated were like a shadow. 
They were an image that, that foreshadowed what was later to come in a, great, in a greater, more enduring, eternal atonement that was offered. And it's there in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that we are told that Jesus has gone, in fact, into the heavenly places to serve as our great high priest. And for us, we remember our day of atonement. We remember the one who, who approaches God for us, who atones for, for the people of God, who assures us of our standing. We remember that in the work that Jesus Christ does as we approach the Lord's table, as he gives him, himself, his own body, as that sacrifice. So I want to invite our deacons forward now as we receive these gifts from the Lord's table.